We're in our series called Light, and, and what this whole series is about is about getting to our great hope, Jesus Christ. And today we're going to get right into the center of that hope. Now, if you've ever had a Tootsie Pop, or if you've ever seen the Tootsie Pop commercials that they used to show, you would know that at the center of the Tootsie Pop is the best part. And you got to get to that center of that Tootsie Pop. Now, there's two ways to get to the center. You could be the type of person who's very patient and just keeps licking that Tootsie Pop, and you spend an hour waiting to get to the center. I don't know how you do it, but you do. Um, For me, I'm not that patient, so I just take a bite of it. I don't care if it hurts my teeth. I got to get to the center of what's in that Tootsie Pop, that Tootsie Roll, because that's the best part. Today, what we're doing is we're getting to the center of Christianity, and we're getting to the center of the Christian story, which is known as the gospel. And this word gospel means good news. It's not, this word gospel, it's not advice about what you should do, but news about something that has been done. It's not advice about how you become a Christian and get to heaven. It's news about how heaven has already been secured for you. And that's at the center. Now, at the center of the gospel, there's another center. So the center of the center is what we're getting to today. And if you have ever been there, if you've ever gotten to the center of the center, then you would know, if you felt it to be true for you, then you would know that it changes everything for you. If you have felt what's at the center, and that's where we're going today, the center of the center, so that if you will get there with me, if you can get there with me, you will see why Christianity, why nothing, Nothing is like Christianity. We're in John 11, and we got quite a few verses to read. We're going to read John 11, verse 45, and we're going to go all the way through to chapter 12, verse 11. So 11, 45 through 12, 11. Here we go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. It's talking about Jesus. But some of them went to the Pharisees. And by the way, this is right after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. It says, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done, raising Lazarus from the dead. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and they'll take away both our place and our nation. But one of them... Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Now they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? that he will not come to the feast at all. Now the, high, now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders 
that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who Jesus raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Now here's what's just happened. Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And he's doing all of these amazing things. And the religious leaders are losing their minds about it because they are filled with jealousy because there's someone now that's more famous than them. And so what they do is they hold this council meeting. And in this council meeting, they're trying to figure out what to do about Jesus. They say, he's doing all of these amazing things. We've got to figure out what to do. And they say, if we don't do something, then the Romans are going to come and take away our temple and take away us as a nation, which doesn't make any sense. What's really going on is they're filled with jealousy. And what they decide they're going to do about it is kill him. The man who's been doing the most good, they say, we are going to come and kill him. Don't miss this. This was God's plan all along. The very purpose for Jesus coming into the world was for him to die. That's his purpose. And I want you to see what has just happened here. God has just used what is evil to bring about the greatest love that the world has ever known. He took the evil of humanity And he used it to do the greatest thing, the thing that we will be talking about for eternity. Heaven and earth has never known a love like this until now in this moment. Now, the question we have to ask here is why did God create us knowing that we would do what we've done, that we would bring evil into the world? Here's why. He created us knowing what we would do. Why did he do it? Because through that, he would display a love that heaven and earth will be talking about forever. God isn't just loving. He's the very definition of love. And as being the very definition of love, he has to display this love that he has. He's perfect in love and he has to act it out. And until this moment, until Christ comes into the world, this great act of love has yet to be seen. God is loving, but he has to get his love out. He's got to display it. He's got to display it by action. And so God created us with a will, knowing that our will would reject him. He knew we would let 
evil take over, and he knew it and he allowed it. Why? Again, so that he could come and show you a love we'll be talking about for eternity. A love that redeems us even though we hated him, and a love that rescues his enemies. A love that would use evil to conquer itself so that love would prevail. I'm part of this philosophy group that meets once a month. And this week we met, and the leader asked a question. And he says, do you have to be ruined in order to be redeemed? Do you have to be ruined in order to be redeemed? It's a great question, and here's the answer. Yes. When someone is saved, they're being saved from something. Something, they're being saved from something that has a hold of them. Now, I want you to notice something. Anytime you're watching a movie, you're reading a great story, even in kids' television shows, there's always a problem and a solution to that problem. I love to tell my kids stories at night. I like to make up these stories. But if I don't quickly identify some type of problem, they're bored. There has to be some type of problem in the story. Now, the greatest story that's ever been told has come true. And that story is a story that God has written. And it's a story about him coming for us. And he's rescuing us up out of a problem. And it's a story that displays a love that goes beyond the limits of what we thought love could be. We have this limit of what we think love is and it breaks right through it. Here's what's going on. God needed a way to show you how much he loves you. And in order for that to happen, he allows evil for a time so that he could show you a love that could not be shown if there had not been evil. And if immediately you're saying, well, are you saying that I'm some pawn? Like in this story, like God selfishly has to show this love because he's a God of love. So he selfishly has to write this story where there's all this evil. Does that mean I'm some type of pawn in this story? And if you're thinking that, then you're missing it. Listen, God treasures you so much and he loves you so much and he wants you to know that. And so in order to get you to know that, he allows something, he allows evil to happen so that he might lavish you with a love that goes goes beyond the limits of what you thought it could be. He allows you to reject him, to hate him, to insult him, and even kill him so that he could give you and offer you a love that will sneak up on you and break your hard heart that's towards him. And the most difficult thing in grasping this the most difficult thing about all of this is that our timeline is completely different than God's. We're, we're functioning, our timeline is functioning like this, right now. And at best, you're thinking five years ahead of right now, but most likely you're not. We live in the right now, but that's not the same way God is thinking. And so here's what, here's what we have. We don't have the perspective of an eternal love. And in order for God to give us this eternal love that goes beyond the limits of what we thought love could be, he has to allow a sliver 
of suffering, of evil, so that then we can have an eternity of this perfect, limitless love. And without this right here, this sliver, we don't get the rest of it because that love was never acted out upon. We would then spend the rest of eternity never understanding the love that God has for us if this sliver had not happened. And so he allows it to happen. Gosh, guys, I hope you're getting this. He allows this to happen so that we can experience love that goes beyond our wildest dreams for the rest of eternity, on and on and on. And we can't seem to get past this sliver. And I understand, I can't do it either, but there's a sliver here and we can't get an eternal perspective. But if he didn't allow it, we'd never know this great love. We never know it to be true. So now, what is this love that he's gonna lavish on us for the rest of eternity? That's the center of the center. And that's where I want to take you right now, right into the center. I want you to get there with me. So if you get it, it's going to change everything for you. In verse 50 through 52, we see that it's God's will for Jesus to die. It's God's will for this to happen. And even though the religious leaders would do it for evil, it produces the greatest act of love. And this great act of love, here's what it's called. It's called a substitution. So here's what it says. Jesus will die for the nation, and Jesus will die for his children who have been scattered throughout the world. And the key word here is for. And what for means, it means a substitution. It means a trading of places. It means this great exchange is happening on the cross. In the, in the Hunger Games, if you've seen the Hunger Games, here, here's, here's how it goes. There are 12 districts in the Hunger Games with these 12 groups of people. And there's these elite. And the elite have decided that it's best for these 12 districts to each choose two people from each district for them to fight to the death. And whoever is left standing in, to the, in the end that district, because that person was standing in the end, that district gets all the money, all the food, all the treasure, all the supplies they need for one year. And the way that these people are chosen from each district is by a lottery, just randomly. But through this, I mean, this is a great evil, obviously, but through this, a great love is displayed. And so here's how the story goes. There are these two sisters from District 12. It's the poorest district. And they, all the district gathers to hear whose name is going to be chosen for this lottery. Nobody wants their name chosen. So everybody gathers, hoping they're not going to hear their name called. They're hoping they're not going to hear their loved one's names called. So these two sisters are there. And everybody's silent. And then they say the younger sister's name. And you can see the panic filling her. And her older sister erupts with this love that she has for her younger sister. And she says, I volunteer as tribute, meaning I'm stepping in her place. There's an exchange that happens. She says, she's not fighting. I'm fighting. And this, by the way, I mean, they're fighting to the death. This younger sister, I mean, this is basically a death sentence for her. And it's basically a death sentence for the older sister. But, you know, you can watch the rest of the movie. But, but... 
it's this great act of love that erupts. That love would not have been shown if there had not been this great evil. Now listen, no matter how evil our world gets, there is always a love that is coming in from outside of the world and it sneaks into this world and it erupts in this world. No matter how evil this world is, there's always going to be a love that is erupting in it. Now, I want you to put yourself in, in the younger sister's place, knowing, I mean, the silence and then hearing your name called, knowing that that's a death sentence for you, and then hearing your older sister say, I volunteer to be in her place. That's a great love. Doesn't even compare to God's love for you. He's broken the limits of what you thought love was in this exchange. So I want to take you to that place. I want to take you to what it's like standing, like that younger sister is standing. So you stand, you're standing before God. There's silence. You hear your name called. You're like in this courtroom, and the verdict comes in. And the verdict comes in like this, guilty and condemned. Now listen, before I piss you off, listen, okay? Deep down, you already believe that's true. And you're fighting it. You are fighting it so hard, and you, when you hear people say something like that, you push that away because you don't want that to be true because there's, no, there's nothing you can do about it. And so the, you don't want to live your life with that, so you push it away. But listen, listen, the reason why you're really fighting it, the reason when you hear guilty and condemned, the reason why you don't like hearing that is because you don't really believe there's a substitute. And there is, and he has come, and he has said, I am trading places with you. He's taking sin dead on, head on. But it, it, here's, the, here's the remarkable thing. Once we start dealing with that sin, you know where it drives you? Right to the substitute. But you've got to believe that there is a substitute there for you. God while he is the very definition of love, he's also the ultimate definition of justice. And when something has been done wrong, justice must be executed against the wrongdoer. Now we can fight it and we can create this image in our mind about God, about God and what we think that he is, but you want a God of justice. Every single one of you, you want a God of justice until justice is pointed at you but we want it. When we see something done wrong, we say justice must be done until we've done something wrong. And then we want grace. Justice is pointed. I, I didn't hear what you said, Joe, but that's okay. Okay. Justice, justice is pointed at you. Jesus comes and steps in your place. Now, here's what the Bible says. We're here, and without him, we are standing and we're waiting for that justice to come down upon us. 
and it's the worst use you can hear, but then Jesus volunteers as tribute in your place. Your, listen, your name is called out, and it's the worst thing that you could hear. But Jesus comes up to you, and he embraces you, and he wraps his arm around you, and he says, what you did has brought you to this point. But what I have done is bringing you to a completely other place. And he picks you up and he puts you in the place where he was. See, this is not, it's not just, listen, don't miss Christianity. It's not that Jesus comes and stands in your place. It's that he takes you and puts you in his place where he was, where he belongs. That's why the text says we become children of God. The father, here's what happens. On the cross, he looks at Jesus Christ and he looks at him with the same intensity that he would look at you in the deepest, darkest parts of your sin, deepest, darkest parts of your heart. That's how he looks at Jesus. But then he puts his eyes upon you and he looks at you with the same intensity, with the same love that he has for Jesus Christ. That is the great exchange. God is far more scary and far more loving than we are realizing. And it's beautiful news if there really is a great exchange and you have a love that's so much more greater had there not been this great exchange. And many of you, all of us, we've got guilt, we've got shame in our life and we're probably dealing with it in all the wrong ways. We feel this need to be forgiven, but we're dealing with it in all the wrong ways. We're trying so desperately to do all the things we think we need to do to get God to love us. And we're doing it in all the wrong ways. Or we just don't even think God could love us at all. And here's what we're doing. We're trying to deal with all these things without a substitute. One has come. Guilt and shame are gone. You stand before the heavenly father loved just like he loves Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that you can do to make him love you more or less. When so many of you guys, if you're like me, you sin. And when you sin, you feel like you're vulnerable, out in the open. God sees everything. You're not out in the open. You're not vulnerable because you have a rescuer that you're hiding behind. You have someone who has died in your place. And so all of his beauty, all of his perfection, he is a refuge to you. You hide behind him. Your sins are covered by him. There's nothing that the father, when you sin, the father, in a sense, does not see it. Even though he does, he doesn't because he chooses to see the perfection of Christ clothed upon you. He's traded places. And it's only, look, we've all got past, present, future sins. And you're never, ever, ever going to believe that you're really forgiven until you realize that the God of justice has said that you're forgiven. Because if the God of justice says it, that means his opinion is far more important than your opinion. And so you say, if he says I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. So just stop fighting it. You're forgiven. Stop trying to be not forgiven. I don't know why you'd want to do that. I don't know why I want to do that. But for some reason, we want to keep making ourselves not forgiven when we are. And we got to stop trying to earn his love. It's given by gift. It's faith in this great exchange.
So what do you do? How do you make this great exchange yours? You do what Mary did. She anoints him. So we see that right there. Mary comes and she anoints Jesus' feet. Now, Now listen. In this time, when somebody dies, they're anointed for burial. But Jesus has not yet died. So why is she doing this? Here's what Mary is saying. Jesus, I know that you have come to die for the sins of the world and for me personally. And so she anoints him. Here's the question you have to answer. Have you anointed Jesus Christ for his death on the cross? Here's what that means. Are you saying to him, let's trade places? Are you saying to him, okay? Here's, your, here's the question. Will you let God die for you? I mean, you can't stop him, but will you let him? Meaning, will you take, see, see, it sounds noble to us to say, no, God, no way. I can't let you die for me. You're perfect. No, I, I, let me just try this. Let me just earn my way. I don't want you to have to die for me. We, we think it sounds noble to do that, but listen to what you're doing. You're rejecting the greatest love that the world has ever known. He's saying it to you and you say, no, it's the more noble thing not to take this. What is not? That's exactly what Peter did. He did. He says to Jesus, no, you cannot die for me. And you know what Jesus says to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Why is he saying that? Because Peter in that moment is rejecting the ultimate limitless love. And he's saying, I got to reject this. Listen, if you want heaven, but you can't take this love, you can't have heaven because heaven is filled with this love. That's what heaven is about. Heaven is about the love that breaks through the limits of what we thought love was. And heaven is filled with this substitutionary love, this sacrificial love. And if you want heaven, you got to say yes to this because that's what heaven is all about, this great substitutionary love. This is what's at the center. Man, I, I think it's so, I don't, know, I don't know how this happens, but so many times I think people call themselves a Christian for so long but they haven't gotten to the center of what's going on in Christianity. This great substitution gets missed. And this is the most beautiful part of all of it. And for some reason, we can't grasp it or we reject it or we think it's honorable not to take it. So how do you get this love? How do you believe in this love? Well, look at what Mary does. So this perfume that she anoints with Jesus' feet, did you, did you hear when I read it how much it is? It's a whole year's worth of wages. She just dumps it on his feet. Judas is pissed about it, but Mary doesn't care. A whole year's worth. Now, are you willing to do the same? When you understand the beauty the grace, the love that is found in this great exchange, it makes you say, you can have everything that's mine. Take my life, take me. Now, I want you to hear this. This is so important. This great exchange, the substitution is free. It costs 
nothing at all. And you can't earn it, so don't dare try to earn it. But how do you know if you believe it to be true? Here's how. How are you responding to this great exchange? Are you willing to say everything that I have is now yours? Not saying he's going to come and rob your house, but are you saying, my house is yours? And you're saying, I'm going to follow you. What, let's, what are we going to do, Jesus? What are we going to do after you've done this for me? I can't, everything I have is yours. Let's go do something. What do you want to do? Whatever you say, I'm ready to do it. If you've understood what has happened. When you get to the center of the center and you see what is there and you see what he's done, Nothing stops you from giving him everything. <clears throat> Not that you have to. You just want to. You're following him. Have you seen how he has pushed the limits of what you thought love was beyond? I want to try to take you there. I want to try to take you to the center of the center. I want you to get to the glorious and the beautiful, sweet center that is there. So right now, everybody, just close your eyes right now, and I just want you to just ask God, say, God, give me an authentic vision of you and this sweet center, the sweet center of this good news, okay? Get, okay, pray that prayer, okay? Now, you can keep your eyes closed if you want, or you can open them, whatever you want to do. It looks kind of funny staring at you guys with your eyes closed, but you can keep them closed. So, go ahead and close them if you want, though. <laughs> All right. Imagine yourself right now. You're staring at an empty cross. And you're standing in a courtroom. But there's a cross there. And the verdict comes in, guilty and condemned. And you hear that. And two people three people, however many people, they start walking towards you. And in their hands, they've got a hammer, they got nails, and just before they nail you to that cross, you hear a voice say, I volunteer as tribute. I volunteer in that person's place, in your place. And then he comes up to you, and he whispers in your ear, Give me that cross. And you say, wait. How can I, get, how can I do this? How are, what about you? He, he says, stop asking questions and give me the cross. It's mine. So you give it to him. And then you watch as they nail him upon the cross. And you know it's being done for you. And his head is held low in sorrow, but then he lifts up his head and his eyes meet your eyes. And you see a love that has gone beyond the limits of what you thought love was. And you look at him and you can tell he loves you that way. And you look back and you love him that way too. Come on, get that image in your mind. Get that in your mind. That is true for you. Just accept that. Give him that cross, okay? Now, all of a sudden, you become startled. 
because you hear a scream from that cross and he screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is the only place where Jesus does not call God his father. And here's why. In that moment where he cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, the exchange has happened. And all of the wrath, all, all of the justice that was supposed to be poured upon you is poured upon him. It's thrown upon him. And he absorbs it all. And then the father takes you and he puts you right where his son was. And he says, this is now your new place, right where my son belongs. And then our savior, our king rises from the grave and he stands beside you for the rest of eternity. And you know what he's doing? All the love that the father has for you, he's sharing it with you. All the love that the father has for him, he's sharing it with you. This is your great inheritance. This is what it means when the Bible talks about the riches of the grace of God. It's the riches of all of the love that the Father has for the Son being shared with you for the rest of eternity. That is your inheritance if you will allow him to take the cross that belongs to you. Stop holding on to it. Stop thinking it's honorable to earn your way and just take the grace. Take it. Let's pray. God, teach us and help us to take your grace. Teach us and help us to let you take our cross so that we can stand in your place. God, we can't earn this. We can't think up the ability to believe this We just have to know that this is a gift from you and we ask that you would give us this gift of belief. God, we pray for it and we need it. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. God, help us offer our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.